Okay, this morning I want to talk to you about a song that we sang, not about the song, but about the sentiment behind it, One in the Spirit, and that's my theme this morning. An Army historian, Brigadier General Marshall, uh, conducted more than 400 interviews with American infantrymen immediately after combat in both the European and Pacific theaters. He was a World War II general. And he concluded uh, his, uh, his studies and his, his uh, research with this, that the main motivation for a soldier to fight is a sense of psychological unity with other members of his immediate combat unit. There's something about knowing that there's somebody next to you when you're in the trenches. Well, there's something in you that is comforted when you know that there are people standing with you. And that's so important to know that that's part of what we are responsible for. General Mar Marshall said, I hold, to be, I hold it to be the one of the simplest truths of war that the thing which enables an infantry soldier to keep going with his weapons is the near presence of or presumed presence of a comrade. Faith, patriotism, ideology are surely strong motivators. However, staying with the gang is as good a description of cohesion, which is even stronger. You make me strong. I pray that I make you strong in our faith. I pray that when you come here, you're encouraged. I pray that you feel the presence of your brother and sister. And if you're, if you're online watching us this morning, that you know that we're here for you. And when we speak to you, when we speak from the word, it's universal. It'll be spoken to anyone who's willing to listen, and you can be encouraged by it. Do you remember God's first commentary on his creation of man? The very first uh, reality was, here's the man that God created. And he had created him in an unspoiled world. He intended for him to live a happy life in a garden. It was paradise. The air was clean. The water was pure. Everything was perfect. Nobody yakking at him. Everything was perfect. But man wasn't happy. And God looked out and said, there's a diagnosis for this. The Lord said in Genesis 2.18, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a help meet for him. Now that word, help meet, that phrase, it means to fit somebody for companionship. Fit somebody for companionship. Fit his human need. It's God's desire to bring people together. I, Oh, there's the scripture, okay. It's God's desire to bring people together. When Jesus was overlooking the city of Jerusalem, he was up on a hill. And as he looked at those people, he could actually see into their hearts and their mind. He was up on a hill, they're down there, and he looks down there and he sees them, like he sees you this morning. Don't ever think you can outrun God. God will be right on your heels all the time. He sees you, he loves you, he won't let you go, as I said to you earlier. But he looks down wistfully at the city. In Luke 13, 34, he says, How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen does gather her brood under her wings? And look at the, the, look at the last few words, and you would not. In other words, I tried to embrace you. I came to you with wonderful things to share. I came to you out of love. I even know that my destiny is to be crucified, but I'm here. I'm wrapping my arms, or I want to wrap my arms around you, and you won't let me. How do you think Jesus felt even saying that? 
The Bible will go on to say in the book of John that Jesus had the capacity to weep. In other words, to be so torn up inside that his heart would break and it would come out as tears and anguish. As Paul encouraged Christians in the book of Hebrews, don't neglect getting together. Encourage one another. Creator God knows because he designed and built you that if life is to be all he intended it to be, it cannot be lived alone. You need people in your life. You need prayer partners. You need confidants. You need Christian counsel. You need somebody whom you can call, and when you call, you know that they will be there to help you in Jesus' name. You need that. And if you don't have that, I want to challenge you to find folks in this congregation who you know will keep your confidence to share things with. And I, I oftentimes give you my phone number. Call me on my cell phone. I'm there for you. Human beings need God, and we need each other. The Methodist preacher, John Wesley, said the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. We're not to practice this alone. We're in this together, and that's the thing I want to drive home to you this morning. We're in this together. In fact, Psalm 68, 6 says, God sets the solitary in families. You have a physical family, and you have a faith family, and God's called you to be part of your faith family. If you're here in the meeting house or if you're someplace in another state and you're listening and viewing, you're a part of this family because we are here to encourage you and build you up in the faith. God never intends us to go it alone. The fact is, life's too tough to go it alone. There's too much pain. There's too much suffering. And there isn't a person in this room today that hasn't been touched with sorrow, that hasn't gone, hasn't been in tears. Every single person here has been, has been let down and disappointed, frustrated, and felt alone. You've lived a charmed life if you've never experienced sorrow, loss, pain, heartache, anxiety, tears, or fears. Every one of us could have checked something off there and said, I've been there. And you've been there, but not alone. God's been with you. Life is not like that, that you can escape these things. Life teeters between joy and sorrow. Have your good days. You have your bad days. There are days when you're up, and there are days when you're down. And on a beautiful day like this, there are some people who look out the window and, and see only clouds. And by the way, there are no clouds in the sky today. Isn't that a miracle? Life is like a tug of war. It can see, life can seem ungrateful, not always kind. It can pull you at your heartstrings. It can play with your mind. It can be blissful, happy, free. It can put beauty in the things that you see. Life can place challenges right at your feet, and life can make good of the hardships that you meet. Life can overwhelm you and make your head spin. Life can be hurtful and not always fair. But life can surround you with people who care for you. Life clearly does offer its ups and downs, days that can bring you both smiles and frowns. It teaches us to take the good with the bad because life is a mixture of happy and sad, just the way it is. 
We can't run away from life. We can't hide from it. When bad things come, I think the thing we want to do is we want to run away from them. But you're not going to learn much running away. You've got to stand, you're, you're stand in your place, and you've got to ask the Lord to give you the wisdom to know what to do next. If life was all peaches and cream, we still couldn't do it alone. Behind every Christian stands another Christian. And it was to this end that Christ connected followers into a spiritual family he calls the church. Let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47, and read about that first church. Stand with me. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and their goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as would be saved. Thank you. You may be seated. First century believers were connected. They were united. You know, they didn't have a written word at that point. They had the apostles preaching. They had others, apostles and teachers, who would teach and preach. But they didn't have a written word. You've got the Bible. They didn't have the benefit of the Bible, but they were together. They were united. And what united them 2,000 years ago unites us today. Here's what we're united about. John 17, 3 reminds us that, that once what was once is still. We know that the same God, we know that we serve the same Savior, and we know that we have faith and trust in his Son, Jesus Christ. We have that in common with the first century. We have in common with the first century in John 14, 16, that the Holy Spirit's living in us. The Holy Spirit's living in you, the same Holy Spirit from 2,000 years ago. He's living in you. And John 17, 17 encourages us, we have the same, we have the same teaching coming into the place where the Bible would become the book of their life. They had the Bible as time went on, we have it now. So we have the same God, we serve the same Savior, we have the same Holy Spirit, and now we have the same Word. Boy, we've got everything. And we've got each other. The apostles at that time first preached the gospel, and then God's, by God's inspiration delivered it to us in writing. And the Bible, as it's been said many times, contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the hope and joy of believers. His word is our final authority. We don't have to go anyplace else to know what God said. Here's where you go, and here's what you believe. It's what's in this book that is the foundation for everything we do as Christians. I believe in my heart of hearts that this book is absolutely true. And I pray that God gives me the wisdom to be able to share that with you in such a way that it encourages you to believe the same. 
that you can trust God's word and know that it's the final authority. What somebody says about God's word is not the final authority. What a commentary says about God's word is not the final authority. The book itself, when you compare scripture and connect dots together, it will lead you to the truth. You have to do it. What I have to do is keep digging until we find the truth. Some truth is just on its face right there in front of your face. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You could be a five-year-old and get that. You don't need to go to any other scripture to understand that. But you can go to other scripture to, to understand it fully. And so to compare scripture to scripture is one of your assignments. To be a lifelong student of Christian studies, of the Bible. That's what I love about Wednesday nights, where there are people who come out and they want to know more than just what they're getting on Sunday. And there's so much more to get than what you're getting on Sunday. There's a deeper understanding. We compare Scripture to Scripture, and in so doing, it teaches you how to compare Scripture to Scripture. Jesus said in John 15, 12, This is my commandment that you love one another, as I have loved you. What's a commandment? A commandment is something you should follow. You want to call this the 11th commandment? Because there were 10 commandments. This is the one that tells us that it's God's plan that we love one another. I can feel your love. I pray each day that you will feel my love. And above all, I pray each day that we will feel Jesus' love. This is the love we read of in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter which I preached to you a few weeks ago, which defines charity as love in action. This love is more than a four-letter word. It's how we connect and care for one another. How do we connect and care for one another? How did Christ show his love for us? And you know the answer. He gave his life for us. We express his love by putting aside our own agenda in order to help somebody else. So many of you, as I look out over the people who are here this morning, I'm reminded of conversations you and I have had, times when I've interacted in your life, times when you've come to me and said, Pastor, I need some counsel. I need you to pray. When people ask me to pray, I said, why not just now? Why wait till tomorrow? Why wait till later? Let's pray now. And trying to encourage you. We express his love by putting our busy schedule on hold long enough to listen to somebody's broken heart or for a loved one to pour out their pain and their tears. One of the most important things I think I know as a pastor is to listen. Learning to listen. And sometimes really that's all you need. Sometimes all you really need is somebody who is willing to listen to you. Somebody who is willing to hear your pain, hear your anger, hear your frustration, hear your anxiety, hear, hear, hear the things that concern you and the things that upset you. And all you need is a listening ear. And not everybody is able to have that. Somebody in their life who's willing to listen. Some people live alone. And sometimes they talk to the TV. And sometimes they talk to the wall. But you have brothers and sisters here. And you have a pastor here. In life's crunch times, we need to be God's agents of encouragement, reminding the hurting, the lonely, and the fear-filled, the care-filled, and the downhearted that God's promises are found in the Bible, and they are the source that keeps us keeping on. 
If there's one thing about God that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that he is the great encourager. In Joshua 1.9, he talks to Joshua who had just gotten command of Israel. Have I not commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Imagine, he's just been handed over the, the, the responsibility for a whole nation of people. Nobody's prepared for that. Nobody's prepared for leadership in the final analysis. We're all out here kind of trying to do our best, but God comes along, Jesus comes along, the Holy Spirit comes along, and what did they tell us? I'm here. I'll help you. I'll get you through this. If you're going through something this morning that just seems too hard to overcome, I will tell you that God will make a way where there seems to be none. But you've got to hang on. And the church must follow in the Father's God, Father God's plan of encouragement. The Apostle Paul was such an encourager to the churches the Holy Spirit gave birth to under his ministry. Such was the case with the church of Thessalonica. It's really amazing uh, what, how Paul deals with the church of Thessalonica. You remember that, that Paul is the church, is the state-sponsored terrorist. He goes around killing people. Is if you look at his, auto, his biography, you say, God could never use this person. But despite his, his biography, despite his past, God uses him. And then God transforms him. In other words, God can take you where you are, not leave you where you are, and move you to a better place. And this is what he did with Paul. So Paul comes from the guy who's got blood on his hands to a man who speaks like this in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 11. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherishes her children. He goes, if, I, if you can forgive the expression, he goes to his feminine side. He goes to his soft side. Having, having been in a life that was out to murder people and hatred and anger and all that business, the Lord transformed him to the point where he leads now with his tender side. That's a miracle. He could do the same for you. Verse 11 we know, and you know we exhorted and confronted and charged every one of you as a father does his children. I'm like your mother in how I cherish and care for you. I'm like your father in how I discipline you. Encouragement can be tender. Encouragement can be tough. No question about it. It can be a hug that says, hang in there. Or it could be a shaking that says, don't go there. Both are our loving obligation one to another. Honesty, honesty with one another is the obligation we have in love to one another. And not to be ashamed to tell one another that we love one another. This should be, this should be our byword here, that we love each other, but not just that, that we can prove it by our activity and our actions. Our loving obligation to the church. The church is at its very best when it's rooted together. Closing story. The huge redwoods in California are considered the largest things on earth and the tallest trees in the world. Some of them are 300 feet high and over 2,500 years old. You've seen them, right? There's one. One would think that trees so large would have tremendous root system reaching down hundreds of feet into the earth. I mean, they're huge. The redwoods actually have a very shallow system of roots, but they all intertwine. 
They are locked to each other. When the storms come or the winds blow, the redwoods stand. They are locked to each other and they don't stand alone. For all the trees support and protect each other. That's the church. That's us. Be strong. The church at its best is rooted together in the beauty of unity. Let's pray. Father, help us to be strong. A forest of individuals, but also a forest of one another. I pray a blessing and anointing upon my brothers and sisters today. I pray you encourage them, that you lift them up. We thank you for this high day that Justin and Jen are about to go into the waters of baptism. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage them, bless them, and we thank you, Father, for the testimony that they'll share. In Jesus' name, amen.